Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. All right, today's sermon text is from John 20, 19 through 31. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to John in your Bible. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are are forgiven then. They are forgiven then. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, And put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But they are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Thank you, Sam. That's the word of the Lord for us today. Well, today is the second Sunday of Easter, and regardless, uh, well, Easter is not just one day, it is an entire season, which will go all the way up to Pentecost. And as I've been reflecting on this particular text today, uh, I, think, I think that I've come to believe that today in this text, um, and the story that we're reading, is just as important as the story that we read last week. Uh, which is just as important as the story we told on Good Friday, which is probably just as important as the whole lead-up to Jesus' arrest and crucifixion um, and his resurrection. Um, It it is so because we need three things together. We need three things together, I think, to truly understand the Christian story and more importantly, maybe not more importantly, and to begin to live that out as people and as a church. Uh, obviously, we, we, have to, we have to live into and remember and retell the story of the crucifixion. Um, we, we, have, we have no hope if Jesus does not come and live and, and die, but we can't just stop at the crucifixion as the, you know, he died for our sins, that, that we say that a lot, but um, really, Jesus died for our sins, but then he defeated sin and death and rose from the grave. 
Uh, and that would be great and good and everything too as, as he tells his disciples, uh, as Mary um, begins to inform the disciples of, of the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead. But, but what happens today and what we'll revisit um, on Pentecost Sunday is the sending that occurs through the power of God's Holy Spirit. Um, I don't think for us as the church I don't think that Jesus' crucifixion or his resurrection truly matter for us unless we allow ourselves to be transformed and sent on a mission of proclaiming God's good news in both word and deed. All of those things have to hold together. We have to to hold all of that and, and realize that it's all one one movement, this one tra- tra- trajectory, caricature. I did it right the time. That was from a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, it's all, it's all going in one trajectory, all going in one pro- trajectory, of which we are a significant part. Well, um, hopefully, if you were with us, we, we told the story of the resurrection last year, or last Sunday, and like I said, Jesus appears to the Marys, and they said, uh, go and tell my disciples that I will meet with them um, because I've risen. Now, um, apparently that happens, and, and the disciples are all gathered in one place, and it's about to be evening, uh, and they are afraid, John tells us. They are afraid of the, of the Jews, which is, which is reasonable and understandable, right? Because it's the Jews, really, who, who end up calling for Jesus' death uh, because they think he's, well, they just think he's, dead wrong about who he is and about what he's come to do. And, and uh, not only that, but, you know, like, if, put yourself in the disciples' place, right? Um, you've been following somebody for at least three years, and you've pinned all of your hopes and dreams on them and their being a savior of some sort, however you understand that. And then someone comes along and kills that person. Uh, you are guilty by association, Right? Um, uh, yeah, so we're guilty by, ex- I, had a, I had an illustration there, but I forgot it. Um, you are as guilty as maybe Jesus is by, by the fact that you have confessed your allegiance to him. And so, of course, they would be afraid. They lock the door and they're hidden. Uh, the, the second part of that is since they, they know, too, that uh, the tomb has been empty. They, they know that Jesus isn't there or Jesus' body, if the Romans and the Jews were to, to believed. Uh, and it's most likely that the Jews and the Romans have sent people out searching for those who might have stolen Jesus' body. Uh, you would be afraid. I would be afraid. Uh, and maybe, that, maybe that's where Thomas is. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but I think there's a third reason uh, that, I, that I don't think I, I understood maybe until... Uh, this week. Uh, I think the Jews are, or the disciples are afraid because they've just had all of their understanding about the world, about their faith, the faith that they have been taught from the very youngest of age, all of that uh, and what they thought they knew, all of the hope and trust that they had placed in Jesus, all of that has been destroyed, kind of. At least it would feel that way, I think. Uh, 
they had been learning all from, from very young age that a Messiah would come. A Messiah who was, uh, was going to, to enact salvation and restore Israel to the glory that it once had, uh, that, that was going to set up kingdom here and now and Israel be free. And, but that was all part of God's plan for creation. And yet, and yet, they had witnessed. They had witnessed the person who embodied their hope, all of their hope, be crucified and dead. I don't, I don't know about you, but if you've ever had your worldview kind of exploded, it can be terrifying. Uh, and I think this is largely, I think, a lot of what happens in, in education. Like, you may go to college uh, and know something about history or math or science, uh, or in my case, like theology. And the things that you learn, while they were technically correct, weren't quite the entire truth, right? And so you've got somebody who's much smarter than you come along and say, no, no, no. This is really how this particularly works on a, on a deeper and more fuller, fuller level. And I think, and, and maybe education, that's maybe a bad example. I don't know. Um, but I think it works that way definitely on the basis of our faith. Uh, when we have a moment where everything we thought we believed, everything that we had hoped in, suddenly turns out to be not true. It could be terrifying. Uh, what, what do you do? What do you replace it with? Can it be replaced? I, I think that's where Jesus' Jesus' disciples are at this moment. Not only are they are afraid for their lives, but they are afraid because everything they thought they believed uh, is different. Maybe not completely gone away with, but different. Well, Jesus uh, shows up in the middle of their conversation and uh, he says, peace be with you. And, and this, is a, this is a standard greeting, right? Uh, actually, in Hebrew, it would be shalom. You've heard that word before. It means peace. Um, it, it's a wish for well-being for the person that you speak it to. But it's not just like uh, peace be with you so that you don't have conflict, but it's, it's a it's a desire and a blessing of wholeness and prosperity. So when Jesus walks into this room, into this room that is saturated with fear and doubt uh, and speaks these words, peace be with you, and they realize, they begin to realize who it is that's saying things this to them. I I think maybe, hopefully, that they become a, a little more whole than they were before that moment, uh, that, that Jesus speaks into that, into that death-filled spot, hope and life and light. Peace be with you. I, I don't know that the disciples fully understand or maybe grasp the fullness of what Jesus is saying there. Maybe they do. Uh, but if it's not enough, for Jesus just to show up in the midst of this scared group of men, he begins to show them his, his scars, right? Scars in his hand, in his feet, in his side, where he gets poked with the spear. 
you know, he, he didn't have to show him that. Here's, here's why I think he does. And what I think it's important for us. One, I think it, it points to Jesus. He didn't just half die. He didn't, he's not like all brand new, but the body he had that they knew all those years and following him was still there and yet it bore the, the scars and the, the trauma of the crucifixion. I, I think it's important for the, the disciples to understand like this is, this is who I am and as we'll see in just a second, this is who you are supposed to be. I show you my scars, Jesus says, so that when you experience the same kind of scars but in different places and in different ways, you will not fear but understand that the power that was at work within me to raise from the dead will be at work within you to take the wounds and the cuts and the trauma and to heal it and to transform it. And that it gives hope and peace in the midst of this difficulty. Well, uh, they begin to rejoice. And uh, as, as they would, they're, they're super excited that uh, maybe things aren't as changed as they, they thought they would be. And then Jesus says to them, peace be with you again. This is, Jesus says this quite a bit in this passage and it's important. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. I, I think that's, that's the connection maybe that I want to make with the scars, right? Like as, as God sent Jesus into the world to, to live with love and faithfulness that, that necessarily ended up in a place of of hurt and pain and death for the sake of the wellness and fullness and peace of the world, that that is the same way that we are sent into the world. Now, I don't know that you and I, if we answer Christ's call to go, to be sent, will ever experience the kind of trauma that Jesus experienced or that we'll ever experience the kind of trauma that uh, Jesus' disciples uh, experienced. But I think, it's, I think it's important to know that that's possible. Because the kingdom of God and what Jesus brings is, is different. It's upside down. It leads with love and forgiveness and grace. Well, he, he goes on a little bit. As my father has sent with uh, as the father has sent me so I send you and when he had said this he breathed on them and said receive the holy spirit he breathed on them now i think that in the mind of all of these disciples they're they're going back uh, to what maybe is the first story that they probably learned the story of creation where god breathes into the emptiness to the, the chaos and the, the void of, of nothingness and, and stars form and worlds form and earth and sea and land and animals. It's creation. It's creation. I think that, that Jesus, uh, that in their mind, they, they, they're making this connection between what Jesus is 
enacting for them and what God had done at the very beginning. And here's what I think, this is where I got stuck this week. Uh, that God's breath, let's hope it's not bad breath, right? Although I don't know what bad, I don't know what God, Jesus' breath after having been dead three days was like. I'm sure he didn't brush his teeth. Uh, wow, I just derailed myself. Um, yeah. This is where I got stuck. We talk a lot about the Holy Spirit in our theological tradition. And one of the things that I think that we miss almost all of the time is that God's work through the Spirit in us, in us as as individuals and as people, and in us as a church, is always creative. It is always creative. Creative, which is, which is why I think we need the, the death and resurrection, but we also need the, the sending of the Spirit because, because God is about making all things new here and now. God is working to bring create, recreation, restoration, redemption, all of the things that I say all of the time, and he's already doing that in our midst, in the world. I think Jesus just makes this a little more explicit for the disciples. I think it's as if he is saying to those men, what you will do amounts to my creative work in the world. This is, I think, the essential function of the church. The essential function of the church is not to condemn people and beat them over the head. Uh, The essential function of the church is not just to meet and sing and worship. It is not just to meet and study God's word. It is not just to share a meal together, but it is always and essentially about us and the power of the Spirit leaving this place and participating in in the act of creation that God is already doing among us. God is at work, whether we can see it or not. And that work is always creative. Time passes, and a week later, and uh, Thomas shows up this time. I don't know why he wasn't there the first time. Maybe he was too afraid Maybe he had some other things to deal with. I don't know why he wasn't with them the first time. But he shows up and the disciples are telling him, hey, this is what happened. You will not believe this. Maybe they didn't say that. Uh, but Thomas is like, yeah, you're right. I, I, I don't believe you. <laughs> He's like, eh, and because you guys got to see it, I want to see the holes in his hands and the, the, the scar in his side or or else I'm not really going to believe it. And, and I imagine that in my mind, as soon as those words get out of Thomas's mouth, Jesus shows up again. Poof. And, and like I told the kids, I don't, I don't think Jesus chastises Thomas for being doubtful. Ah, doubting Thomas. I think we should stop calling him that. 
because at the end of the day, we're a little bit more like him than we'd like to believe. Thomas just wants what everybody else had this particular moment. And Jesus says, comes to him and says, look, believe Thomas. Look, here it is. And, and Thomas utters what I think is probably uh, the greatest, one of the greatest confessions that any of the disciples make in the Gospels. Uh, he exclaims, my Lord and my God. It is, uh, it is a moment of surrender. It, it, it is a, a moment of giving himself completely uh, to the force that is working through Christ and, and the power of the Spirit. It is a, it is a commitment, a, co- a confession, a declaration that Thomas is going to be, uh, is going to be faithful, even, even though he wasn't, or maybe a little doubtful. My Lord and my God, I think that Thomas, even though he, he misses some of those things, right, right off the bat, that he, he is no less a part of, well, that breath that Jesus has spoken. He's no less worthy of being called. He's no with less worry, worthy of, to go out and to proclaim and to enact in the ways that we are able to new creation in the midst of those around us. Here's where I think Thomas was and here's where I think the disciples were. Uh, I think for there to be resurrection and sending for all of that to take place, I think something has to break first. Uh, I, I, I spend too much time on YouTube. Uh, but I like to learn things, and there's a lot of educational things, and it helps me out when I need to fix something. Uh, although I'm not really good at fixing things. But all over the place on YouTube, there are there are videos of people taking old things and restoring them. Cars, tools, uh, airplanes, whatever. If you want to see somebody take apart something old and put it back together, furniture, it's, it's, on, it's on the internet. But, it, but if you watch enough of these videos, one of the things that, that almost always happens almost always happens is that they take the thing apart. Uh, it, you know, it may take a good deal of WD-40 or whatever, uh, and they, they sand and they smooth and they, maybe they make the parts that broken and put them back together. And, and by the time they get done, instead of a rusted hunk of thing that doesn't work, you end up with something that, that usually is Beautiful. Uh, and that's not even the most important part, but it's functional. It can be used again for the purpose with it, it, for, which with, for which it was created. I wonder if, 
I wonder if, if that's maybe not part of what the disciples had experienced, right? Uh, that all along, actually, their entire time with Jesus, that, that they have been experiencing Jesus taking their rusty hunk of life and faith and taking it apart and cleaning it and restoring it and making it look new and that they're still in this process by the time Jesus raises from the dead. I think, I think that, that in order for us maybe to, to fulfill the fullest calling that we have, maybe we have to break just a little bit. Maybe a whole lot. Now one of my beefs with our theological tradition is that uh, oftentimes we make this transformative maybe disassembly, hesitate to use the word deconstruction. This, this work, we make it all about just us, personally. Uh, but I wonder, I wonder if that, that process, and I'm going to call this sanctification because that's what, our, that our, that's what our theological tradition calls it. With the power of the Spirit working in us to, to cleanse us and empower us and fill us and send us. I think that this process is what the church goes through as well. And, and as I've thought about this passage and about our church and, and where we have been in our f- almost 40 years of, is it 40 years yet? 1988 to, yeah, a long time. But I wonder if, if from time to time like we don't need some disassembly, some, uh, some breaking down. And, and I wonder if maybe that's happened for us. I think it has in some ways over the last couple of years. But I think that God has always been at work in those things and that, that we have been empowered and sent and the power of the Spirit and God is working creation and, and restoration through us for the sake of our community. I think that we have participated in God's new creation in the world through uh, The Rock, our community youth group. You all don't see it very often um, because it's its own thing. Uh, But I think that God has breathed on us and the other three churches and sent us and set us about the work of new creation in the lives of the students of our community. I think new creation is happening right now over in the gym in the top as our kids hear a lesson. I think that happens on Wednesday night with our kids. I think it happens on Wednesday night with our students that that most of those uh, of our teenage students that come are students who uh, don't attend our church. Like they've never come to anything. They just show up. They know nothing. I think new creation is happening as we hopefully continue to support open table. As we we enact uh, ministry to those who don't have. In a way that's not just throwing a band-aid and giving food, but hopefully in a way that allows us to build relationships so that maybe some of those people might experience 
creations. I think, I think creation is happening in Tara Bigger's stay-at-home mom group, maybe a little bit. Where, where moms with kids who are overworked and overstimulated by kids that won't shut up and poopy diapers and all of those things, hoping maybe in the times that they meet and the friendships that they're building, there is God's creative spirit-empowered work happening. I think new creation is happening in Rachel Paul's Facebook group that she created where people, where she's invited people to share little moments of God's miracles. Uh, little testimonies of what God is doing or has done in small and maybe sometimes big ways. I think new creation is happening in, in us at, as Tammy leads uh, some Sunday night prayer and Bible study. As, as in the last couple of months, she's been able to share the good news with, is it William Woods basketball? Westminster girls basketball team. They just end up being at her house. I think, I think new creation happens anytime you and I leave here having allowed ourselves to be broken and maybe disassembled just a little bit more in the power of the Spirit. I think it happens as, as we begin to, to reorient our worldview, our understanding, our faith to the reality of Jesus Christ, to the hope that he has transformed and will transform the scars and trauma and hurt that is in our world. And that we go to do the same elsewhere. As we, when you're in line for the Lord's Supper here, I want you to to think uh, maybe two questions. Think about, and as you go through this week, where has God used me in ways to bring about new creation around me that I I maybe haven't been aware of. Here's the thing. I don't think we need big, grandiose things to be a part of what God is doing in the world. I think more often than not, it happens in a conversation. Uh, A sharing of a burden from a coworker. Small things. Then I I want you to be reflective and, and think about the places you go normally and the people you see routinely and say, how can I help bring God's spirit-empowered creative work here and now? Uh, maybe, perhaps, uh, maybe you are at a spot as well where you need, you need that moment of creation here and now. And, and if, if you find that, can you turn me down a little bit? Somehow it's gotten quite a bit. I think that, that um, maybe as you are in line for this and as you receive this little bit of bread and juice, that it might be uh, a little bit of renewing, restorative creation in your life here and now.
Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.